From WUSC-FM and HD1 Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis, and this is Headline. Coming up this week on Headline, I talked with U of SC's student body president, Izzy Rushton. She details some of her plans for the upcoming school year and how they've changed because of coronavirus. Also, how she reacted to the recent ICE decision and what it was like to be threatened with deportation. Then, later on in the show, we'll hear from a professor from the USC School of Education who's done extensive research into the field of online learning. Is it as effective as in-person instruction and what can we expect in the upcoming year? what he had to say about that issue, plus more, all after the day's headlines. Live from WUSC News, I'm Ward Jollis. As the debate over whether or not to return to in-person instruction heats up amid rising coronavirus numbers, officials at the University of South Carolina continue to ensure that students will be safe to return to in-person instruction. But as President Bob Caslin has detailed in multiple town halls over the past few weeks, students and faculty can expect big changes to the typical on-campus experience. WUSC's Forrest Tucker reports. President Caslin is confident in risk management measures that the university is taking to have in-person classes this fall. For starters, studying will look a little different. Students will still be able to use the library and Russell House to study, but at a limited capacity. The university is upgrading Wi-Fi capability campus-wide since students often leave their dorms to find better Wi-Fi. In classrooms, students will be noticing some changes too. Desks will now be four feet apart, and depending on the space available to professors, office hours might not be in person. While changes in the classroom have been determined, football season is a toss-up. Since college football and Major League Baseball are under similar conditions, Kazan predicts that the MLB's success could help determine how college football will function this fall. Forrest Tucker, WUSC News, Columbia. Coronavirus cases continue to rise in the Palmetto State, with daily case numbers spiking near 2,000 a day. Despite this, government officials at the local and national level continue to insist that students are safe to return to schools in the fall. As WUSC political correspondent Aaron Slowey reports, Vice President Mike Pence and U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos are just the latest two public figures to come to South Carolina and voice their support for reopening schools. DHEC announced on Thursday that there were 1,538 new confirmed coronavirus cases and 49 additional confirmed deaths. This raises the total to 76,315 probable cases. On Tuesday, in a press conference at USC, Vice President Mike Pence said that he would not hesitate to send his kids back to school, despite the COVID-19 cases continuing to rise. At this roundtable, U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos commended Governor McMaster's recommendation to reopen schools and his plan to allocate $32 million for grants to private schools. DeVos said that the reopening of schools should not be up to Washington officials, but rather local authorities. Aaron Slowey, WSC News. The debate over school choice is heating up once again after South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster announced on Monday that he'd be allocating $32 million in emergency funding to the state's private schools. The money comes from the governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund, which was given to the state for coronavirus relief and totals $42 million, meaning the bulk of which would go to private schools in South Carolina. As WUSC political correspondent Stephanie Justice reports, the allocation by Governor McMaster has sparked debate at all levels of government. 
Governor McMaster's decision to use millions of dollars of federal coronavirus aid to fund private school vouchers has revealed the partisan divide when it comes to the issue of school choice. A judge temporarily blocked the governor's decision when the son of Democratic State Senator Brad Hutto argued that McMaster's plan violates a portion of the state constitution. Politicians across the state wasted no time before jumping into the conversation. Democratic Representative Joe Cunningham tweeted that public funds should go toward public schools. On the other side of the aisle, Republican Representative Joe Wilson praised McMaster's decision, saying that he has always been an advocate for school choice. His Democratic opponent, Adair Ford Burroughs, responded to Wilson by tweeting that as a former public school teacher, she wants to prioritize improving children's public education opportunities. The future of Governor McMaster's decision will be decided next week when arguments will be heard in court. Stephanie Justice, WUSC News. As colleges and universities across the state weigh the costs and benefits of reopening next month, Clemson University is the latest to announce its plan for the fall. As WUSC's Caden Dinkins reports, Clemson has taken a different approach for reopening than USC. With the uncertainty of when COVID-19 will be coming to an end, South Carolina universities are slowly deciding their plans for the fall 2020 school year. While most universities are still planning for in-person instruction, Clemson University has opted to delay in-person instruction for the beginning of fall semester until September 21st. As for the University of South Carolina, virtual instruction is still a possibility. But for now, the plan remains for students to have a blended method of virtual and in-person instruction for August. That was Caden Dinkins reporting. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is currently down 150 points. The Nasdaq is also down 78 points. And the S&P 500 is down 17 points. It's currently 93 degrees outside. Some showers in the area with a low of 73 tonight. The high for tomorrow is 91 degrees with a low of 75. I'm Ward Jollis, and you're listening to WUSC News. It's 3.06. Stay home. Are you crazy? Stay home. Do your part and stay home. Staying home doesn't always save lives. Did you know South Carolina ranks fifth in the nation for women killed by men they know? With stay-at-home orders in effect, you may feel trapped, isolated, or less safe than ever before. We know domestic violence doesn't stop, even in the midst of a pandemic. Learn how to get help for you or someone you love at sistercare.org. Glad to be back in Columbia, seeing friends, heading back to class. Unlike other colleges and universities, we get to come back. But keeping it that way means keeping your distance. The CDC says staying six feet apart is the easiest way to slow the spread of COVID-19. So stay back, stay healthy, and lead the way. Because nobody wants to go back to Zoom U. listening to Headline from WSC News, I'm Moore Jollis. It's safe to say that when USC student body president Izzy Rushton was elected in late February, she had no idea what kind of year was to come. Much like the rest of the world, whatever plans she had made were going to be upended or completely changed by coronavirus. And in an office that's meant to be very accessible to students, 
She'll have to overcome a lot of drawbacks come fall in order to be a successful leader. But she still made some progress as student body president over the summer and still has pretty detailed plans for the upcoming year. And joining me now is Izzy Rushton herself. Izzy, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Ward. I'm so excited to be here. So, you know, Izzy, how have you been doing during the the pandemic? You know, I, I haven't seen you in a while, and I'm sure you're hard at work preparing for the upcoming school year. What's it, what's it been like? Well, I'm not going to lie. It has definitely been hectic. It is not the summer I expected it by any means, um, but I've been excited to be able to work with administration and the university to prepare for the fall. Yeah. Anything you've been doing in quarantine lately? I mean... Anything? Well, okay. I'm going to be honest here. Um, towards the start of quarantine, I actually started training for a half marathon. Um, oh, I got wow. to about five miles and decided that wasn't for me anymore. Um, so now I'm about a one mile kind of gal. Wow, I think you're. I think you're not alone in people who are trying to take up running during this. It's a great time for exercise for sure. Uh, you know, what's it been like to be student body president during you know arguably one of the most hectic times in recent history. I mean, this is the longest the university has been closed since the Civil War. Uh, What is it like to be in this position now? Right. So one thing I always say is that when I got my student body president transition guide, uh, there was never a chapter in there about uh, global pandemics and how to deal with that. Um, So we're definitely writing history as we go. Um, But honestly, I really utilized this time to get to know administration and to put forward goals um, that I had right before being elected. Um, It's definitely been different, but that doesn't mean we haven't been able to achieve anything. Um, I would argue that we've been able to achieve more throughout the summer than we would previously. Um, And so while, you know, things are are different. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just gives us that opportunity to push forward um, and make Carolina even better. Things are definitely different. You're very right. Uh, so Izzy, you come from a pretty unique background. Uh, I know you get this a lot. You come from Australia. Um, you're the yes. first international student body president, actually. Um, so, you know, really quick, tell me a little bit about how you ended up at USC from Australia. So when I was 15, I actually went on a high school exchange and I lived in Oregon in a small town with about 8,000 students, um, students, sorry, people. And so after that experience, I decided that I wanted to live in the United States. Uh, So I went home to Australia and I told my parents I was going to college in the U.S. They said, no, you were absolutely not. Um, And so I started researching colleges um, and I ended up finding the University of South Carolina. I really wanted that true American experience and this university had it. Uh, So just a short couple years later, I flew on a plane all the way by myself, moved in, and the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. So while we're on the topic of, you know, being an international student, I'm sure that, you know, you went through some of a very stressful experience recently with the ICE decision. I want to remind uh, listeners, if they aren't really aware, uh, that a couple weeks ago, ICE suddenly uh, came out with a ruling that basically said if... If an international student is taking all online classes, that they will not be able to study in the United States anymore, maybe even be sent home. Uh, tell me a little bit about how, you know, how shocking that was for you as an international student, especially, you know, the first international student body president. I'm sure that had to have been terrible. Tell me about that. 
right? So I remember exactly where I was when I saw the policy come out. I was actually sitting in my kitchen of my nearly newly moved in home. Um, I was eating lunch and my roommate walked in and she said, hey, have you seen this? Um, she gave me her phone and I noticed that it had ICE policy on there um, and what they were saying about international students. Um, I pride myself in being an international student in this country and what that means for helping others to understand diversity and understand different backgrounds. Um, and so to see that I could possibly be sent home was absolutely devastating. Um, it broke my heart and it was definitely shocking because, you know, I have a car, I have a South Carolina driver's license, I have a lease in this country, um, and I truly do consider the United States to be my home. So to know that I would be sent quote unquote home um, to a place that I didn't have any of those things um, was truly terrifying. Um, I only have one more year left on my college degree at my undergraduate. Um, and so to know that that would be either cut short or what I, I would have to cope with online classes um, in a different country in a different time zone um, was terrifying. Were you planning on taking all online classes? So I had four online and one in person. Um, I was nervous that that last class would turn into an online class. Um, however, the university assured me that they would do everything in their power to help their international students. Um, so I got a lot of comfort from that. Um, although this policy has been re uh, revoked thus far, I truly don't think this is the end um, to the fight with international students. And so I am still nervous about the future and what that will hold. Yeah. So you said you, you had a lot of support from administration and the student body. Absolutely. President Kaslin himself actually called me and he was like, Izzy, don't worry. We love our international students here at the University of South Carolina. We are so proud to have them um, and we will do everything in our power to keep them right on campus. Yeah, that's good to hear. So so I want to move on now into uh, some of your plans for the fall. Um, clearly, before all of this coronavirus stuff went down, you had some big issues that you wanted to tackle. Uh, have these issues really changed since all of this happened? Are you, you know, moving to a more coronavirus-focused plan. Uh, what does that look like? We're definitely moving more towards a coronavirus plan in the sense of um, using our resources and our ability and our platform as student government and as student leaders um, to really elevate the new issues and the new concerns that the student body has. Um, one topic that we're really kind of working towards is mental health on our campus. Um, prior to coronavirus, that was one of my biggest priorities, and it still is. Um, however, we can't, you know, ignore that the coronavirus will bring different mental health issues than were previously had by the student body. Um, I remember one of my platform points was to add a mental health section on syllabi. Um, and, you know, we've been able to utilize uh, the COVID-19 plan and everything occurring with the Faculty Senate to also push forward that platform point. Um, but instead of, you know, using it as your typical um, every year mental health section, it will incorporate areas of COVID-19 within it. Yeah. Yes. So so I want to move on to uh, a little bit about accessibility. Uh, clearly, social distancing has created some accessibility issues for, you know, student government, I'm sure. Uh, how do you plan on maintaining that accessibility during the age of six feet apart and online communication? I mean, the student body president is seen as uh, a very accessible person, usually. Um, it's going to be a little bit more complicated, I assume, with coronavirus. Tell me about how you plan to tackle that. I think the coronavirus has definitely pushed everyone in the nation to be a little more innovative in the way that they connect with their friends or their family or, in my position, serve as a student body president to a student body that I love to discuss issues or, you know, thoughts about the future with. 
Um, and so we're definitely looking towards the fall in terms of holding, you know, online office hours to be able to really connect with that student body, um, to create spaces in which student concerns can be heard and that we can act on rapidly and effectively. Um, we're definitely going to need to put our heads, uh, put our thinking caps on and put together our heads um, to figure out ways to make sure that we still have the same accessibility. Um, but I don't think that this digital age will hinder that by any means. I think honestly, with um, the amount of, you know, people who are involved in this and who are excited about this, um, we may even be able to connect a little more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so clearly, you know, this has been a pretty difficult experience, like you said, for a lot of people who are at home right now and they're social distancing. Um, has this, has it been hard for you as well? I mean, what, what do you think has been the most difficult part of this situation and serving in this role? I think the most difficult part is that I'm such a people person and I love to hug people and I love to talk to people face to face and I love to see everyone's shining faces. Um, And so to have that kind of degree of separation online has definitely been hard. Um, I think that, you know, while I love connecting with people on Zoom, it's not the same as meeting in an office or grabbing coffee with somebody. Um, And so I look forward, right. So I look forward to a time that I can, you know, sit in cool beans and get my typical coffee and chat with friends. Um, But for now, you know, connecting through Zoom is going to have to be enough. Yeah. So for any students maybe that are listening right now um, and, you know, they don't maybe they don't know you very well. um, Maybe they don't know what to expect in the fall semester um, at USC. What do you want these students to know uh, that, you know, to comfort them maybe or to let them know about yourself? Right. So one thing that I will say is I was actually writing my convocation speech last night, which if you don't know what convocation is, it's kind of like the first night where the student body president talks to the new class. Um, And I remember a couple years ago when I was a freshman, um, the student body president at the time, Ross Lordo, gave out his phone number. Um, And I was sitting there last night writing my speech and I was like, do I give out my phone number or do I not? Um, And I just I have right bold right um and i have decided to you know i think that i am not somebody who's on a pedestal by any means i am with the student body through the ins and outs whether the semester is incredible um through all the bumps and the trials and tribulations and so i want to continue to be accessible want to continue to have that connection with the entirety of the student body um and i want them to know that no concern no thought or idea is too small to talk to me about um i am here for the long haul whatever the fall entails um and i am ready to connect with as many people as possible. Yes, well, Izzy, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, Great talking with you as always. Thank you so much, Ward. Have a great day. That was USC Student Body President Izzy Rushton. We'll be right back. Thinking about grabbing a bite at your favorite lunch spot? It may be getting easier for you, but for many residents in Richland County, that's not a choice on their menu. Meals on Wheels serves people who can't access food, and COVID-19 has doubled demand. You can help by driving or packing food. Find out how to safely serve at MealsOnWheelsAmerica.org. Hashtag I Pledge Columbia. Hello, Meals on Wheels. Come on, buddy. Hey, neighbor, it's been a while. Oh, hi, Jenny. How are you guys doing? You know, staying home, staying safe. Staying apart can be hard, but we can still reach out. Columbia has many unmet needs, and Mutual Aid Midlands is stepping in. From delivering groceries to internet access to books for kids, they are people like us, pooling resources and finding solutions. If you want to help your neighbors and donate your time or special skill, join them. Find Mutual Aid Midlands on Facebook or call their hotline. 
You're listening to Headline from WSC News. I'm Moore Jollis. There's been a lot of debate lately regarding online education versus in-person instruction. While many parents believe that face-to-face interaction is the only way to get a legitimate education, a lot of parents are worried that e-learning won't have to do, at least until South Carolina can get the coronavirus pandemic under control. Here with me today to talk about the pros and cons of online learning and what kind of lasting impacts it could have is Professor Fatih Ari from the USC College of Education. Professor Ari, first off, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, And, you know, based on your expertise in this field, is online learning as effective as in-person learning? Yes, um, I would say it is as effective as uh, in-person learning. Um, Actually, uh, looking at the research in this field, in the field of online learning, um, we do have research studies that does present um, conflicting results with each other. In early 2000s, we had research studies that would actually compare the formats of um, instruction online versus traditional face-to-face instruction. And in those, um, in, in various studies, it was reported as that online some in some studies online learning was more effective in others online learning wasn't as effective as as traditional uh, instruction yeah so so have you um in your time studying this topic have you found anything about maybe course completion rates in online learning as opposed to uh in person or retention rates um from students do they do better normally um i would say no they don't do better unless they are really self-regulated learners. And achieving that um, status is not easy. Um, There is, that's one of the, um, I would say, weaknesses or challenges of online learning um, as opposed to traditional instruction. Um, You do need to be very organized. You do need to be self-regulated in terms of your own learning. You do need to take um, control of your learning as opposed to going and sitting in one classroom every uh, every week. Um, there is a huge attrition associated with online learning um, unless support is provided by the, by the program, by the course instructor. Students are, um, they may feel isolated from the course. They might actually drop out easily than face-to-face courses. That's one of the issues of online um, teaching. Uh, Clearly, there's also a social aspect here that's lost um, when you move to e-learning. Is there any way that you have studied that teachers can make up for that loss of social interaction uh, online? Um, There are theories in distance education. One of them is actually Michael Moore's Transactional Distance Theory. Um, according to this, this theory, um, as the interaction between teacher and the student, as well as between students and the students, as well as between student and the content increases, that feeling of isolation decreases. That would actually help um, instructors create that social interaction. Yeah. It really depends on the design of the instruction. I would say. Um, unfortunately, we, even though we are living in 2020 right now, um, the, the perception and understanding of online learning is basically translating whatever course content is in 
face-to-face instruction to the online environment. That's not the case. That's not what we do. As experts in this field, we, we have difficult time in breaking that perception. It's not online teaching or online learning. It's just piling up resources into a place and expecting students to learn. We do go through a deliberate instructional design process when we design our courses. We do need to know that the students in the online environment needs to interact with each other. We value that interaction. That's why we do use uh, learning groups, writing groups. We do follow a cohort model. We meet with the students synchronously on the, you know, uh, I personally meet with my students twice a week. One is a group discussion. We gather together synchronously and talk about the stuff that we are learning about in that week. So clearly, as the geographic distance increases, people um, are very much separated from each other, but it is up to the instructor or the course teacher who would find other ways to engage students. It may not be the exactly same interaction that you would have in face-to-face environment, but you could still find opportunities to create that interaction. Yeah, what do you have to say about uh, people who come from families that are not as well off uh, and they don't have internet access um, or other necessary technology to participate in e-learning? Is there any solution here for those students? That's a very good question. In order for those who don't have internet access, um, one strategy could be um, having mobile internet stations so that people actually could, could go nearby um, and get the internet access. Libraries have public internet. If you have the opportunity, you can go, but then it, it's still not the equal opportunity. It's not the same opportunity. My son was sitting here in the house having high internet, but other kids are supposed to be traveling to the location, okay? so. Different things can be done. You, you could actually um, design a range of learning experiences. Some of them wouldn't really require internet access. Some of them are personal. Some of them um, are, are group-based maybe, but only group-based learning activities, you would require them to have internet access maybe. You know, that could be really up to the instructor, how the instructor design. Mobile stations are, are I would say temporary solutions for such problems. You would ask people to relocate to a location where they can and provide them internet access. Um, Again, like I said, although this is not ideal, this is like a patch to the wall. So it, it, it wouldn't solve the issue, it would help mitigate the, you know. Yeah. Challenges for a while. Yeah, so, so there's, have you found that there's any discrepancy among different age groups, for example? I mean, are, are certain age groups better adapted for online learning than others or more at risk? Uh, what does that look like? Um, I would definitely say that um, online learning requires certain personal characteristics. Developmentally, that's not possible with younger kids. You, they do not have that. Like elementary level kids, they do start abstract thinking after the age of 10. They can't really think of 
abstraction. They can't really, you don't really developmentally cannot expect those type of thinking from them. So they don't really know um, how to manage their time. They don't really know how to organize their learning. They don't really have those self-regulated learning skills. Um, and this could be true in K through 12, even in high school, even in, in, in higher ed, we have students who are not really self-regulated learners. I would say online learning, especially right now, the way we do is mostly for adult learners. Um, the, you know, me and my wife is a professor in the field too, educational technology. We have a third grade son. Even in my house, sitting with my kid, helping him was a challenge. If I can't imagine if the parents are not actually uh, qualified to do so. The kid cannot actually complete anything by himself or herself without assistance. Yeah. So there's currently a debate going around right now. I'm sure you've heard of it um, that uh, con concerning Governor McMaster and saying that uh, schools should offer in-person classes in the fall. There's been a lot of blowback from teachers of elementary school students and all the way through high school probably um, saying that they don't feel that it's safe to do that. Uh, do you think that it's important that these younger generations really go to class in person right now to get the best education possible? In an ideal world, I would say yes, these younger kids need that personal interaction. However, the current situation doesn't, I don't think it would allow us to do so. Um, it's um, in South Carolina, the numbers are going up or at least staying the same level, around 2,000 every day, um, more or less, uh, somewhat. We cannot really expect these younger kids to keep the social distancing even though you actually technically say it's going to be happening, it, it wouldn't actually. We don't have the physical capacity to do so. So a hybrid model until a point where it is not considered as high risk, we, we could transition into face-to-face -face instruction maybe, but until that time, I personally believe that should be e-learning for all levels just to um, keep the students healthy the teachers are keep the teachers healthy um, because um, personally speaking my based on my observations this pandemic uh, process showed that it affects certain age groups more than others and our teachers are actually fall in that category more than the kids yeah. Wow. Yeah. So really quick, just a few final words on online learning. What can we do to make sure that the upcoming semester, um, whether it be online, hybrid or in person, uh, is as effective as normal? Um, for, for those who would like to be effective online instructor and to design effective online courses, I would say uh, this is a systematic process. You need to design a, a learning experience um, and consider lots of different factors. Your target learners, um, who are they? What 
they really need to know rather than what is the textbook that you need to use. That's one of the issues that we face with. We, it's the easiest way, we find a textbook and then follow the textbook. We think about the content before we think about the learner. What do they really need? What do they really need to know, be able to do after this course? So that's one thing. Um, clear um, instructions, clear objectives needs to be set for every learning um, experience. So I think instructors should at least once a week sit with their students and have some social interaction. Okay, well, Professor Ari, thank you so much for um, talking with me today about this. Uh, you provided a lot of insight. You are welcome. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Headline. Make sure to tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. for the week's biggest stories. The music for Headline is called Conversation by Broken Summer. Headline is a production by WSC News and is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. You can find other Garnet Media Group podcasts and student work on garnetmediagroup.org. From WSC News in Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis, and this is Headline.